If you've got your Bibles with you today, we're going to be in a little book in the Old Testament towards the end, the little book of Micah. If you can make your way back to Micah, if you are using one of those blue Bibles that are in front of you, it's page 778. If you have the Bible app on your phone, you should be able to find our notes for today with a few Scripture references and some quotes there. If you're going through your Old Testament, you get to the Minor Prophets, if you find Jonah, just keep going one book over and you'll find Micah, tiny little book in there. If you find Nahum, I don't think I've ever preached a sermon out of Nahum. Uh, maybe one of these days we'll, uh, we'll, we'll find a sermon to preach out of Nahum. If you find Nahum, you've gone a little too far. Go back one and you'll find Micah chapter 4, verses 1-5. through five. We're looking at this passage today. It's a passage that it's a passage that has been woven into the fabric of our nation. And yet, you very likely have never heard much out of this passage before. There will be parts that sound familiar to us, to us, but some of our founding fathers viewed this passage as being very significant. And while they didn't believe that it spoke of, of our nation, they didn't believe that it was about us, uh, they knew that it spoke to the hearts of people who love freedom, people who long for freedom. It was about the people that we could be because of the freedoms that we enjoy. Je Micah, Micah chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of all the mountains. And it shall be lifted up above the hills, and people shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that He may teach us His ways, and we may walk in His paths. For out of Zion goes forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall sit, every man, under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all the peoples walk each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. In 1783, George Washington wrote a letter to a man named John Armstrong. John Armstrong was the general of the Pennsylvania militia. And Washington wrote of his hope that one day all the wars would be over, they could all retire and they could all enjoy freedom. And he wrote these words to, to uh, General Armstrong. I wish you may possess health and spirits to enjoy after we have seated ourselves under our own vines and fig trees. If it is the gracious will of providence to permit it, the return of many happy years. In fact, as we go through the writings of George Washington, in about 50 of the letters that he wrote, 50 of his correspondence, he refers back to this passage. He refers back to sitting <clears throat> under the vine and under the, fig tree, uh, under the fig tree. 
And in a letter that he wrote to his doctor just shortly before his death, Washington wrote that he believed that his home in Mount Vernon, I don't know how many of you have ever been to Mount Vernon, but he believed that his home of Mount Vernon was his own personal vine and fig tree. There was something about that image sitting under the fig tree that struck a man who apparently was tired and tired of war, tired of his life being defined by conflict, a man who wanted to find peace. And it seems to have been, it seems to be an image that is very dear to the heart of God also. You may not have looked at Micah chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, but you may have heard these words before. In fact, some of them sound very familiar. And if you were to go through your Bible and you make your way to Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 through 4, they are almost identical to what Micah writes here. Isaiah and Micah were contemporaries of each other, they were prophets at the same time. Zechariah chapter 8. There are two verses where he alludes to this passage, this idea of peace, and this idea of sitting under the vine and under the fig tree. And Jesus, as he was predicting the coming of his kingdom and what it would look like, he said to his disciples, Now learn the lesson of the fig tree. You see, that's, that's where this passage finds its fulfillment. It finds its fulfillment in Jesus. Not not, it's not fulfilled because we fought hard in a battle. It's not fulfilled because we won our conflicts because our causes were just. It's not fulfilled because of the nation that we established. It's because we bow to the reign of Jesus. It's fulfilled because blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. We have committed to the image of the Son of God in us, in our hopes and in our desire for peace. So what did Washington, what did George Washington long for? What, what drew him back to this passage again and again? And what does Jesus, what does Jesus call us to see in this passage? And for one, I think in these words that we have here, I think in these words we find peace. And that peace is a freedom from fear. Some of you had Mr. Decker your history teacher. Who all had Mr. Decker in here? Look at those hands. My goodness. And I can still hear Bob. And I can kind of see him standing on his chair. Do you remember standing on his chair? Did he do that in your classes too? Did he stand on his desk when he really wanted to get our attention? He would stand on his desk. I, I don't want to fall down. I don't do those kind of things. But I can remember him standing on his chair and reciting the words of Ralph Waldo Emerson, their flags in April breeze unfurled. Here the once embattled farmer stood and fired the... Come on. Shot heard round the world. Oh, Bob would be proud of you for remembering that part anyway. The embattled farmer stood and fired the shot heard round the world. It is a powerful image, isn't it? It is an image of not a soldier, not a general, not one who's been trained for war, but a farmer. A farmer who's had enough. A farmer who can't take it anymore. And he puts his plow away. He picks up his gun. He joins the revolution. He conscripts himself to service. Our nation was built on images like that. The Minutemen, remember? The Minutemen. Ready in a minute. Ready at any time to drop everything and run off to service. But that's... That's not what farmers are supposed to do. 
That's not what farmers are, are supposed to be. Farmers are providers. They feed us. They, they tend the land. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 6, Paul says the hardworking farmer should get the first share of the crops. He should get a set under his vine, under his fig tree. But history is full of stories of, of the common man being drafted into service. And here in Micah 4.4, 4, the image is that finally, finally the farmer gets to rest and he sits under his fig tree. No more wars to fight. No reason to fear. You see, the fear mentioned there is not just fear of conflict. It is fear of, of being drafted. And again, history is full of stories of those who were conscripted to, to serve. Some of you remember signing up for the draft. Some of you may remember waiting and wondering if the letter would come, if the courier would deliver it. Uh, some of you remember getting those letters maybe, but for, for so much of our history, that's not how it works. For much of our history, it was simply a matter of the army riding up on your land and telling you, you are now a soldier. You're, you're in the army now. You're not behind the plow, right? For so much of our history, that's how it worked. They would just pull you from your field, from your family. You're not a farmer any longer. You're a soldier. And that was the fear of many common people. And listen to Micah again. They shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. No one's going to make them afraid. Why? Because we have the superior military? No. Because we have better trained soldiers? No. Because we have better trained farmers? No. Because Jesus reigns. John tells us in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, perfect love casts out fear. They will not fear any longer. They will no longer be afraid. When you know His love, there is no fear. And the promise is not more conflict. The promise is not be ready for the next fight. The promise is rest. Rest under your fig tree. Rest free from fear. There's a gift that comes with that freedom from fear. It's a gift that we all long for. And it's also promised in this passage. And that gift is peace. Peace that allows self-reliance. It's not just that we rest in Jesus' care. It's not just that we rest in His care, but we are able to care for ourselves. It's there in verse 4. Each man sits under his own fig tree. Sitting in his own shade. I don't have to worry about someone coming to steal my figs. I don't have to worry about someone else coming over here and taking what's mine. The promise is that everyone has enough. Everyone can care for themselves. You go through the Old Testament, you've got this imagery of food over and over again in the Old Testament. And so much of the food imagery is tied to both war and peace. As they entered the land of Israel, the promised land, they were told that it's a land flowing with what? Milk and honey, right? And milk and honey, those two, those two foods speak of the abundance of the land. That the land is so abundant that it actually produces its own sweetness. It actually produces its own, its own goodness. But it also speaks of peace. When you think about what a beekeeper does, and some of us have seen that up close, haven't we? It would be really hard to tend a beehive and run for your life at the same time, right? 
If you were constantly living under the fear that some enemy was going to come and take your land, you could not be a beekeeper. And as far as milk goes, milk cows have to be stabled. They have to be pastured. They have to be kept on the land. And if someone is constantly threatening to come steal your land, you're not going to get much milk if you're constantly moving those milk cows. And in the same way, you can't sit under your own fig tree if you're constantly under the threat of war. And I love... I love that this image is here. I love that it's a promise of Jesus' reign, but don't limit it. Don't think it's just a promise of heaven. Because it's so much more than that. This isn't just about heaven. This isn't a promise that we're going to sit back, float on clouds, and eat ice cream every day when we're in heaven. You know, never get fat. You know, we just continue to, to live like that. Rather, it's an, it's an image of productivity. We're caring for ourselves, and ultimately, we're able to care for others. Look, look back at verse 3. He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. This is not a temporary peace. This is an image of, com of commitment and contentment. Neither shall they learn war anymore. Once we commit to peace, we are not going back. You're probably a little bit more familiar with this passage in, in Isaiah's context. Isaiah chapter 2. It's there again. We have pretty much the identical words. And it's that Isaiah 2 passage that is on the plaque below that statue at the United Nations building. Maybe you've been there and you've seen that statue at the UN. The statue of the man who is beating a sword into a plowshare. The statue is a gift to the United Nations from the Soviet Union, by the way. So you might be more familiar with that. And that's an entirely appropriate location for a statue like that. But, but keep in mind, the fulfillment of this promise doesn't come from us. The fulfillment of this promise doesn't come from peace treaties. It doesn't come from human will. It comes from the reign of Jesus, the Prince of Peace. And it comes as we follow Him and follow His peace. Next Next week, we'll pray that prayer together. First Sunday of every month, we pray the prayer, the Lord's Prayer. And we will pray those words, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The peace that is promised in heaven is a peace that we commit to here on earth. This isn't just an image of heaven. It is our desire for here. It's our desire for now. And with that self-reliance born out of freedom of fear, we see one other blessing in this promise. And that is the blessing of peace that opens the door to hospitality. I've mentioned in several sermons, I've preached about hospitality. I've told you that the Hebrew word for hospitality literally means love of strangers. That you love the stranger. It's a very welcoming word. The promise of Jesus' reign is that it is a peace that we know, a peace that we enjoy, but it is also a peace that becomes attractive to others. And you see that in the very beginning of this passage. Again, verses 1 and 2. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of all the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and people shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that He may teach us His ways, that we may walk in His paths." For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Micah, 
Micah is very aware of the promise that a time of exile is coming when the people will be taken away into exile into Babylon. He's also very aware of the promise that after many years, they will come back to their nation. They will come back home. But for Micah, the promise, the, the, it wasn't enough that his people would come back to Jerusalem. His vision was that of welcoming others, of people flowing to God because of the peace that they see in the reign of Jesus. Verse 1 speaks in metaphor. It says the mountain of the house of the Lord will become the highest mountain in all the world. It's the same image that Jesus uses, by the way, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, when He says a city, on, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. There is to be something attractive about us. <laughs> about us. To draw people to us. And it cannot be that attraction cannot be our ability to make war. And it cannot be our ability to make really good peace treaties. It is that we offer peace. And that peace is what we find in Jesus. I already mentioned that George Washington used this image of the fig tree over and over again. Over 50 times in his correspondence, he used that image of the peace that he wanted in in 1787, a newspaper called the, the New York Journal po published an article that used that same passage about the vine and the fig tree. But they didn't point to what was happening then. They pointed to what they, what they envisioned would happen in our nation in the future. The article was about the, the way that the oppressed of the world would come streaming to the United States and find a place of refuge. And that image of the vine and the fig tree, that's what shaped our early immigration policies. That's what opened our borders up and allowed people to come here and find a, a land of hope, a land of peace, a land of opportunity to find a new home and offering, offering the hurting a place to know is their home and inviting them into our peace. The last verse draws a distinction for us, but I hope we can hear it. Verse 5, for all people, all people walk each in the name of its God. But we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. There are others who walk by other gods. There are others who walk by gods of conflict, gods of war. We do not. There are others who live for conflict. That is not our hope. That is not who we are. And instead, there is a commitment. We walk in the name of the Lord our God, forever and ever. We do so without fear. And because we do so without fear, that allows us to care for ourselves. <clears throat> because we do so without fear, it allows us the plenty that we need to welcome others into our lives. When Jesus reigns in your life, peace will overflow. This past week, We've been reminded again, <clears throat> horribly reminded, that we live in a broken and damaged world. We've been reminded again that places that we thought were places of peace can cause us fear. We've mourned. We've mourned with we've mourned for families that we've never met. We've mourned, we've mourned for people in a town we never heard of. 
And if you're like me, you, you've been asking the question, when is this all going to come to an end? And I don't have an answer for that. But something within us cries out, not just against the wrong, something within us cries out for hope. The hope of swords beaten into tools that produce blessings and produce enough to share. Hope of hearts that are broken to be healed and to be open to others. That last song that we sang this morning, it has that line in the last verse that has always struck me. As He died to make men holy, let us live to make men free. You realize that's not how the song was written, right? As He died to make men holy, let us live to make men free. When that song was written, the line was, as He died to make men holy, let us die to make men free. And somewhere along the line, that just didn't seem to set right with people. But this was written at a time when, when people knew that peace comes at a cost. Peace comes at a price. As He died to make men holy, let us die to make men free. Let the reign of Jesus start here. Let His reign of peace start with us. Let's make sure that His peace overflows from us to those in our world, to those in our community, to those in our lives who are hurting, who are desperate for peace. I just want to pray today as we prepare our hearts to take the Lord's Supper. We'll pray and then we'll sing. But It's been an overwhelming week. For reasons in the news and for other reasons, I have just felt completely overwhelmed this week and I have grieved in, in many ways. And yet, the Bible says we do not grieve as those who have no hope. And that hope cannot just be for us. That hope cannot just be for our loved ones who we remember as we sing these songs. That hope has to be for our world. It's a hope that Jesus gave His life for, and it's a hope that we give our lives for. Every day we give our lives for that hope. Let me pray. We'll sing together and we'll take Father, the day will come when we will, we will sit under our vines, we will sit under our fig trees. Father, the, the promise that we need today is a day when no one will make us afraid. Lord, there are families that this week sent their children to school afraid. Families that had never had to worry about things like that before. And so we, we recognize and we acknowledge fear. But we want to acknowledge the promise of Christ above all. We want to acknowledge a promise that calls us to peace. That calls us to, to end the violence. And if that begins with us, let it begin with us. Father, we, we also come acknowledging that the most horrible thing imaginable was done to Your Son. Lord, uh, his body was broken. His blood was shed. And yet You did this to make peace with us. As He died to make us holy. Let us live. Let us die. Let us give our lives to bring His freedom, to bring His peace, to bring His forgiveness to the world around us. People who are hurting. and People who are afraid. We thank You for this bread. We thank You for this cup. We thank You, Lord, that we, we don't do this alone. We share this together. It's in Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.